Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. The new bombastic and brash president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, is undertaking a war on drugs like no other country on earth. In the last few months, hundreds of alleged drug offenders have been killed on the streets, many by vigilante groups empowered by the government. And Duterte has released a list of hundreds of public officials that he claims are involved in the drugs trade. It is a human rights disaster unfolding in real time and another indication that Duterte is a singularly unique and some may say threatening individual in global affairs. My guest today, Dr. Tom Smith of the University of Portsmouth at the Royal Air Force College Cranwell, describes how Duterte, a long-serving mayor of the city of Davao, unexpectedly emerged as president of the Philippines in elections this year, and how he is applying harsh tactics honed at the municipal level on a national scale. And a quick note before we start, please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com to get in touch with me. Subscribe on iTunes. Get the free mobile app, maybe make a contribution to the podcast if you are so moved. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Tom Smith. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. President Duterte now has been in office for um, just over a month. But previous to that, Roddy Duterte was the mayor of Davao City, which is the largest city in Mindanao, the southern province. And he'd been in charge of Davao City for a long period of time. Fairly established, well-known figure throughout the rest of the Philippines. Fairly notorious internationally as well because... Davao had certain problems, which Duterte is credited with cleaning up, particularly around crime and drugs. Um, he was accused of running death squads effectively throughout Davao City to, to clean up the city uh, and ran a very populist campaign. As uh, mayor of Davao, I mean, what were the tactics and methods he used to clean up the city and, and rid it of, of drugs crimes? Yeah, well, he, he certainly empowered the local police chief, who is now um, uh, promoted to, it, to to the national level, to um, effectively all you know the, take the gloves off, boys. Um, we will look the other way. The judiciary will be told locally to look the other way about any aggressive tactics. And in the Philippines, I mean, there is a number of sort of local clansmen which do lots of the kind of domestic policy work when it comes to crime fighting. And this was certainly writ large in Davao City. So even in rural areas, this is kind of expected, but in metropolitan areas like Davao City, this is kind of a novel thing where um, 
not just the police were cracking down on crime, but it could be sort of anybody, not even in a uniform, frankly, but um, there were people who were responsible for looking over a certain patch, and this kind of was institutionalized, for, for want of a better phrase, really. So basically like vigilante groups, uh, or you can yeah. call them organized crimes groups that were empowered by the government? Exactly. I mean, th- this is, of course... Um, been noted in a couple of really fascinating and good read reports, which you know, um, interesting people, you know, parties could go ahead and, and read, and I would, I, you know, certainly recommend that they do that. But this has never been taken to court. Nobody's ever been found guilty of any of this. The accusations were put to Duterte of him effectively using death squads. You know, he has not um, in any way disavowed. In fact, he was kind of said. Well, look at the look at the results. I stand by those. Um, and it effect- worked, right? Like, like you know, the the hard nosed tactics and the tactics that were you know likely involved lots of extrajudiciary killing actually did work to to clean up the city, right? Well, I mean, it works in so much as there's a body count, and you can point to that. Um, there's still enormous problems in Davao uh, and and throughout the rest of Mindanao, which weren't really addressed. Um, Duterte does have this odd obsession with the, the with drugs. Um, well, I say it's odd, but I suppose it's kind of understandable in, in the fact that it's, it's, it's a soft target. Um, he can point to that rather than going after the difficult things like systemic corruption and poverty. But he, he's chosen drugs as a soft target of things to go after. And yes, I suppose um, the more obvious drug pushes on certain street corners or what have you would be eradicated. But there's still a drugs issue in in the Philippines. And I'm sure if you um, went to Davao now, then it might just be more underground. Um, so as mayor of Davao, he um, you know, kind of establishes tough on crime persona. He's obviously very bombastic um, mm. and uh, became president. What was that that election like? I mean, what? It's drawn some comparisons, frankly, to the election here in the U.S. Uh, yeah. In that, uh, you know, he's sort of outspoken and bombastic in a way that that Trump is, and also sort of outrageous. Uh, yet um, he was still able to, uh, you know, secure enough votes to win. Yeah, exactly. Warning signals for everyone, perhaps. But um, yeah, it was an interesting campaign. Um, so the one-term president, Nono Aquino, was stepping down. He'd had enough, frankly. Most presidents usually do two terms, at least in the Philippines. And, um, and Aquino was not running again. And it was kind of a – anybody was coming new to the race. I mean, Eric Estrada, the former disgraced president, was running again but was never a front runner. And Duterte painted himself as somebody very different from the crowd. He was working class, even though you know he, he's an educated lawyer himself who's you know, a multimillionaire. Somebody who could speak to the people, who could speak their language, be kind of rough and aggressive and be very different from the oligarchs, elites that run things in Manila. He was very much seen as an anti-Manila candidate. The fact that he is the first president from Mindanao, from the province which is crippled by the two insurgencies, the communist and Muslim insurgencies, is significant and could have been, you know, for neutral observers like myself, could have been an excellent thing and a real step for uh, for progress. But Duterte has really kind of gone off the soft, easy targets and the bombast caught on. The media, which is fairly weak, some of the institutions, you know, civil society institutions in the Philippines have been eroded over a long period of time. 
Um, Aquino has done his best to kind of prop those up during his term. But Duterte has taken advantage of those. The media would let him talk and bloviate for long periods of time without any sort of critical analysis, tough questioning. And and they lapped it up. He, he gave regular headlines, you know, chauvinistic remarks. There's, and you can look those up if you want, but there's many, many of them not really worth re- repeating. Some wild claims, including to end all crime within his first year. Um, and I suppose this is him making that a reality now. Okay, so so let's talk now about this current so-called war on drugs that has started to catch international headlines. Not not too many headlines, I should say, but mm. it's caught uh, my attention because they're they're it it it's it's striking at least from what I see is that he um, seems to be replicating this um, policy these policies that he created as mayor uh, of Davao and applying them uh, across the Philippines writ large. Is that sort of an accurate description of of what's happening? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's early days, of course. But yeah, it looks that way. And there's been kind of little adjustment to the national level of that policy, which served him supposedly fairly well in Davao. Um, But the war on drugs, like I said, it seems to me to be a very odd fascination. There are other big issues in the Philippines, which, to his credit, um, Duterte did talk about in his campaign. Corruption and poverty, he did speak to, though we're so far seeing kind of light on policy with that. So so how is this current sort of Philippines-wide war on drugs manifesting itself? I mean, we've heard stories of hundreds of, of uh, people killed, many by vigilante groups. Mm. Uh, also, we've heard stories, and this is kind of remarkable, that he is drawing up lists of people that he is accusing both politicians and also some business leaders that he is accusing of being involved in the drugs trafficking and drugs trade somehow. I mean, it seems to me that he's just drawing this list of political enemies and tarring them by saying that they are, uh, you know, that they are part of the drugs trade and using that as a way to sick his people on them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it doesn't sound sophisticated, right? Um, and it doesn't look that way. The bodies effectively turn up in very public streets, uh, on the road somewhere, usually left brazenly for people to find and <clears throat> for the media to take pictures of. And these bodies are just left there with a cardboard sign saying, this guy was a drug pusher or a drug user. And and that effectively um, explains the murder. Now, we don't know who's doing the murdering. We don't know who um, who's, who pulled the trigger and killed that person. We couldn't, you know, official figures are admitting to around 400 deaths by the police. Um, and these are claimed in self-defense in the war on drugs. So this is in the process, presumably, of arrest um, or, you know, taking down, knocking on doors that drew... Uh, pushers and drug dealers are fighting back and they had to be killed in, in that process, which is worrying enough in itself at, at such a scale so quickly. But then there's uh, an, you know up to 700 deaths, so there's a di- difference, maybe 300 deaths of unexplained. These are not attributed to the police. So who's the vigilantes who are, who are doing this? Nobody quite knows. Now, on top of that, there's a couple of hundred of people who have disappeared whose bodies have not been found and are also being attributed to the carnage around the war on drugs. Uh, but like how transparent is this list of other politicians that he's drawn up and accused them of being involved in the drugs trade, like of, of just being a way to snuff out political opponents? Yeah, so so the lists, yeah, they, they, these are quite um, eye-catching and, and interesting. Um, 
they seem to be operating on on, on two levels. One locally, um, uh, in that local police chiefs who, in one breath, Duterte says are, are corrupt, and a number of them are on his central national lists of of police, you know, chiefs who who dealt in drugs and uh, should be tackled and he's voiced you know concerns about several people in particular so these local people are coming up with lists who Duterte doesn't really control but he's saying you know we're, we know some people and we're going after and then Duterte seems to have his own list um, he supposedly has 150 people which yeah, like you mentioned some sort of uh, junior level politicians people in charge of different branches of government etc police chiefs um, and yeah, we don't know the evidence behind these, how these lists are compiled. It, obviously, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to realize that this could certainly be used for nefarious purposes. And because if somebody's name is on a list, does that mean they're a fair game to be murdered? Who could be doing the murdering? It raises all kind of difficult questions. And what's been the reaction uh, in the Philippines by different sectors of society? I mean, does he still have most population support for carrying out these these policies? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a strange thing, really. Um, well, as I mentioned before, some of the civil society institutions which you would need to speak out about these things are incredibly weak in the Philippines, sadly. Um, we don't have the critical media that you would need to kind of put Duterte under scrutiny. The civil society groups, Human Rights Watch and what have you in the Philippines, um, have been squeezed out of everyday life and don't really do struggle to have an impact. Um, and Duterte is allowed to get away with this, frankly. A lot of the opinion polls that are running uh, currently are suggesting that he enjoys a large swathe of support. Now, I, I think I do think that does depend on who you ask. There is, while he won a fairly landslide and decisive victory, there's a large swathe of the population who don't like it, the rhetoric, who do think this is bad. Now, how that can be expressed and how freely that can be expressed is another question, of course. I mean, how and much? Maybe, mm -hmm. Sorry, maybe just people outside the country are obviously like myself, or you know, neutral observers are a bit more at liberty to do that um, rather than people within the country. So it seems um, that so far, international criticism of Duterte has been somewhat muted, uh, particularly from the United States. But I wonder if that's going to change or starting to change. I mean, we're speaking a day after uh, Duterte called the U.S. ambassador to the Philippines something like the gay son of a whore. That's exactly uh, yeah, yeah. That is exactly what he said. Yeah, uh, kind of a bizarre thing for a uh, president to say about the ambassador of their close military ally. Um, I guess to what extent do you think uh, Duterte's bombast might undermine his sort of standing with key allies like the United States? It's, it's a great question. Um, I think Duterte. To his credit, he understands this. He understands that all politics is local, right? He understands that he draws his power from people living in slums in Manila and his home city of Davao and that they keep him in power and that's who he needs to speak to. He, in, in the campaign, he, he said, you know, we would look to, for, in his terms, a foreign policy reset. And that was with both the US and with China. Um <sighs> And yeah, he said similar things throughout the campaign. The remarks yesterday are, you know, really of no surprise when it comes to Duterte. But of course, 
he factors these things in. He said those remarks in front of um, in, in front of soldiers at the time, and none of them flinched. Um, when he said similar kind of remarks in front of the press, you hear giggles. Um, there, there, there is kind of consternation amongst some parts of the military who have a strong relationship with the US. You know, there is close military alliance, particularly um, in Mindanao with the um, Islamist insurgency, but of course looking north towards uh, the South China Sea and the standoff with China. And the military use US equipment, they train together, there's a strong harmony. And so when their president and commander-in-chief is, is speaking like that about the US, it's going to be uncomfortable. And so there's maybe problems down the line if that continues for Duterte. And, and given he is so rooted to his local politics and where he drives his power, we might see a change if if maybe that can manifest itself somehow. But so far, the military have been fairly silent. Um, about I mean, some of these do, policies. Do, do middle class or wealthier or at least educated uh, people in the Philippines uh, feel threatened by Duterte? Um, I think some would, yeah. I think some would would support Duterte, though, sadly. Um, but this is difficult. I mean, it, to characterize it simply along lines of privilege would be difficult. But, but yeah, I think um, your average educated more liberally minded um, voter from metropolitan cities and Manila would, would certainly be worried at this point that Duterte's rhetoric is is pretty much becoming reality. Uh, so how do you think this will play out in the next few years in, in the Philippines? Uh, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I mean, what's this space? I think there's certainly going to be lots more flashpoints um, I don't expect Duterte to change um, in, in his approach to things. I think strong questions will will come after a year or two when, obviously, large problems like inequality, which for the Philippines has an enormous problem with. Um, this is the second fastest growing economy in Asia behind China. Um, English speaking, you know, has a lot of things going for it internationally. Um, it's well connected. Strategic value is very high. The, the world should be paying more attention. And if it does... If maybe condemnation, more attention is given to the Philippines on certain issues, then Duterte may have to answer difficult questions like how is he dealing with corruption, how is he dealing with poverty, and and we might be able to see some reforms and see some progress. If there's continued silence and Duterte is allowed to carry on regardless because the Philippines is, is seen as a strategic ally and if he's a strong man, then fine. We 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 need the bases of the Philippines. We need there to to, to fundamentally pivot on in the U.S. pivot policy to Asia to to be continued. Then then that could be problematic, certainly for the people of the Philippines. All right. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. No problem. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Tom Smith. And again, if you are so moved and and please do consider uh, making a monthly recurring financial contribution to the podcast, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and and click the support the podcast link to do that. And if you would like, I will send you a book at random from my foreign policy book collection. If you make a a monthly recurring contribution, I I really do appreciate it. I can't do this without you. And I don't have so much, you know, corporate support for this. All right. I'll see you later. Bye.